Well, good morning. We're going to uh, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter seven, verses eleven through nineteen. Um, I entitled this one "The Superior Priesthood of Jesus." Uh, last week we looked at uh, um, the Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek, uh, which is the order of priesthood that Jesus is 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 similar to or or under. I guess you would, well, he's not under; he's over. Uh, but uh, but. Uh, uh, um, and of course, the uh, the point being that it's an eternal priesthood. It's not a temporary priesthood. It's it's not a priesthood ordained by or not ordained, but uh, established by lineage, uh, but rather rather by the person himself. And uh, uh, and uh, uh, and it's it's not based on it's not based on a, a set of Levitical rules. It's based on it's based on the character of the individual. Um, uh, who is uh, who is in this case the Lord Jesus Christ? And last week it talked about it talked about we talked about Melchizedek being the king of Salem and the king of peace, and and being a priest of the Most High God. Which of course all of this comes off of the fact that uh, uh, that David predicted such an individual in Psalms one ten uh, verses one through four, where in the first few verses he talks about. The king who will come out of Judah, which of course is Messiah, it's a messianic psalm. The Jews understood it as a messianic psalm. They always saw it as a messianic psalm. And they, uh, uh, they understood that uh, Messiah would be, would be king, but he also, according to verse 4, would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek was a character that showed up out of the pages of nowhere <laughs> in uh, uh, in the in the fields outside of Jerusalem, uh, when after after Abraham had defeated the kings that had uh, taken Lot a captive along with the the cities of the plains, and uh, he had formed an army, a coalition army, and had gone in and rescued him, uh, had restored those kingdoms, and on his return from the battle, uh, this individual named Melchizedek comes out of comes out onto the plain and greets him with wine and bread, and to him Melchizedek gives an offering. And that's simply, there's three verses in, in, in Genesis that tell us anything about Melchizedek. 2,000 years later, David says, this is the example of the type of priest-king Jesus will be. Ultimately is what Psalms 110.4 says. And then Hebrews, <clears throat> excuse me, Hebrews from chapter 5 through chapter 7 tells us about Melchizedek. He's a guy who has no lineage, no mother, no father. Now, he was a man. Uh, but Scripture doesn't record any of those things. None of those things are recorded about him. And the point being, he typifies the type of priest Jesus Christ is. Jesus didn't come from the line of Aaron. Jesus didn't, isn't a temporary priest that only could serve 25 years. Jesus is priest, king, forever, eternal. And that's that's the thrust uh, that uh, that comes from this. So in this in this section, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning I've got a little bit of a tickle in my throat, I guess. Anyway, uh, in this section this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, at uh, the priesthood of Jesus Christ after the order of Melchizedek as we go through verses uh, eleven through nineteen. So, uh, do we have any prayer requests this morning? I yeah. Not sure what they're not sure what it's doing, and he's the leader of a worship team, and um, it is really heavy on my heart. And the pastor, he's a, a master's seminary graduate, and I mean, they're a master's church, you know, or yeah. whatever, MacArthur, right? So, <laughs> uh, it, it's, a, it's a hard thing over there, so we need to be praying for this belly. Valley Bible and Lancaster. And then the other is, and then we would get know this, but anyway, Ben's sister 
Heather, and I don't know, probably none of you know her, but she's a really neat gal. And she called me yesterday, and she said that she's going to see Nancy soon. She's oh. Not all, no. So, uh, oh my. She has some degenerative muscle something that they really don't know what it is, but the doctor told her just months to live. So, her name's Heather, so please. Okay. Her. And her husband is Guy. Pray for her. Guy, too. Guy, okay. Well, Mine is not as, as heavy as hers. Um, in three weeks, I think it is, I have to have cataract surgery. Uh, so I'm going to not teach the class on the 13th, and Brandon is going to take it again. So be in prayer for him uh, as he, because it's hard to just step in and say, here, <laughs> here's your text, you know, uh, but it's good for him too. Uh, so anyway, but. Uh, Bear with me this morning. My left eye, which is the worst one, is not working very good. So I'm not focusing too good. So hopefully I can read my notes this morning. So anyway, uh, Ed, would you open it? Lord, we thank you today uh, that we can come to you. Father, we pray uh, for this church and the situations that have been mentioned this morning. Father, we know that you have a plan. Father, I pray that you're... You would be glorified and honored somehow, some way through this. Strengthen your people, Lord, I pray. Hearken your word to our hearts today as we study in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we'll look first of all at uh, the imperfect priesthood of Levi in 7, uh, 7, 11 through 14. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when, uh, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the, for the one of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descendant from Judah, and and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So, so the beginning, the the first first uh, thing that comes up here is uh, is why would we have changed it? You know, if if perfection could have been reached in Le, in in the in the uh, priesthood of Levi in the Levitical priesthood, why would we change it? And it's kind of a rhetorical question. It's obvious that uh, it wasn't perfect, and that perfect is kind of the uh, kind of the the essence of what he's going to be talking about here for a little while. Uh, he he basically says he begins with an explanation of the necessity for a change in the priesthood, and he says also that if the priesthood gets changed, there's a necessity for a change in the law. And we'll kind of talk to that as we go along. Uh, chapter 8, when we get to chapter 8 in a couple of weeks, is all about the New Covenant, uh, which in effect is the new law. Uh, but but he's, he's, he's saying uh, there, the one necessitates another. The two go hand in hand. Law and priesthood were connected. Leviticus chapter 20. Spend some time reading it. It's not very exciting, but it tells you about the priesthood and all of the things that had to go, all the things that went along with it. And, and he says, he gives, he gives this question, if, if it could have been attained, why would there be a need for another? Why would we need to do that? But there was a need for another, so it was not attainable. That is, perfection. And it's all based, the question is based on the word perfection. Now understand, in the New Testament, kind of the normal usage for perfection in relationship to believers is Progressive sanctification, we're being moved to maturity, we're striving toward that goal of reaching the goal of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That's kind of the sense by which it's used. It's, it's, it's meant to be bringing someone, it's the idea of bringing someone to maturity and or, and or completion. I think sometimes the English word kind of, we think it must be absolutely pristine, everything's there. Uh, but really the way it's generally used in the New Testament, it talks about bringing believers into conformity with Christ, uh, maturing. That's what it's, that's what it's talking about. Um, 
<clears throat> James 4.1 says, Let patience have its perfect work. The idea, as we learn patience, it matures us. That's, that's the process. Uh, that he that he's talking that he's talking about here uh, that he's talking about. However, here in seven eleven, it, it's the same word, but it has a little different nuance. Uh, in the context, he's not talking about so much about maturing here as he is as he is talking about as he as he is talking about uh, reaching the goal, coming to the end of the process. Um, that is attaining to the faith, coming to the faith rather than rather than rather than growing in the faith. It's, it's it's that kind of an idea. And it's it's culminates with what he's going to tell us in verse 19, that we draw near to God. That's that's the point. Under the Levitical priesthood, you couldn't really draw that near to God. There had to be a man between you, the high priest. The priesthood was always in between, and that's that's the idea uh, that is that is that is ta- that he's talking about here. He's talking about being able to actually come before God. You, me, all of us believers can do that. That's that's uh, that's what Jesus accomplished, and that's what he's talking about here. Under the Le- Levitical priesthood, they couldn't reach that type of perfection. They couldn't reach the point that the people could come directly to God. And that's, verse 19 tells us, that's the goal here, drawing near to God. That's, that's, what, he, that's, what, he's, that's, what, that's what the concept is wanting to accomplish here. Hebrews 10. <clears throat> it's in here somewhere. 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. That's the point here. That's what he's. That's what he's aiming at here. Is it that in this sense, perfection in this sense is when Christ sanctifies us, when we receive full access to God. That's the idea here. Uh, that's what. Uh, that's what he's talking about. The Levitical. The Levitical. The Levitical priesthood could not accomplish this. Uh, John and John. Uh, Jesus tells us in John fourteen sixteen, no one comes to the Father but through me. You can't come into the presence of God fully through the Levitical priesthood. And you understand, we have a, we have a church here, and you've got to put yourself in the context of when this was written. We have a church that is predominantly Jewish, or it seems to be. Uh, probably why the book was named Hebrews. Uh, but he's writing to Hebrew Christians. And these Hebrew Christians have spent their whole life being taught the Old Testament. And being taught the Levitical priesthood. And it appears that they are struggling with this. Uh, they're struggling with letting go of it. And they're struggling with, with seeing the, full, um, uh, the fullness that is ours in Christ Jesus. Hebrews, Hebrews 10, once again. 1 through 2. For since the law... Was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true, instead of the true form of those of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are, they are continually offering every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been clean, cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sin. Uh, this is the point. The Levitical priesthood carried out the sacrifices year after year. They were only a temporary covering. They couldn't allow them to completely draw near in the perfection that he's talking about here. That's, that's, that's the idea of what he's talking about in this first verse. This was the necessity for the change. <clears throat> the point is, the law, though it was good was somewhat limited in this, in this aspect. It couldn't accomplish the goal. For the, Jew, for the Jews, the connection to the priesthood and the law would be, as I said, very difficult for them to escape, to, to get to break from. 
uh, they would they would see that tied. In, in fact, if you if you look in the New Testament in the book of Acts, we have two very specific incidents where the Jews come after Stephen, and basically in Acts six thirteen, we're told the reason they came against Stephen is they felt he was speaking against the law. That's why they killed him. They thought he was speaking against the law. He, of course, he wasn't, but that's what they thought. That's what they thought when they came after Paul in Acts two twenty eight. The charge they made against him was that he made an attack on the temple, the people, and the law. It was a very difficult thing to move away from at this, at this point. Incidentally, we have some overlap in history, in biblical history, because it's only going to be a few years. It's going to be evident that the priesthood is gone. Titus Epiphany will take care of that in 70 A.D., but note that while the while the law is good, Romans seven twelve it tells us that the law is good, uh, and it's it, and it is perfect. It cannot cleanse man and provide access to God. It can only temporarily cover sin and not remove it. This is we're talking about the sacrifice system, and we're going to kind of build on this here in just a minute. The old test the, uh, the old testament prophesied of a new covenant. Jeremiah chapter thirty one. Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. Behold, the days the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their forefathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. By covenant, and they uh, my covenant they broke through, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after the after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within the, within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's the new covenant that was promised. However, the Levitical system was under the old covenant. It, had, it couldn't do that, and it had to be changed. That's, that's the primary uh, point here. Uh, the old system couldn't remove sin. It could only temporarily cover it. And Psalms 110, verses 1 through 4, promised a new priesthood. David, in that psalm, promises a new priesthood. In fact, it's going to be quoted in a, in a few verses here in just a minute. Uh, but uh, uh, and and it was not one after Aaron, but after Melchizedek. That's what he tells him, and he would be not only a priest; he would be a king. Uh, that had never happened before. The priesthood and the kingship were separate, and he says that will he'll be, and it's going to be a permanent one, not a temporary one, and it's going to be based not on lineage. But on by the oath of God, we talked about that last week. God made an oath that this would be so. And, and so, so that's, that's the basis then. Uh, and then it's going to be one that is going to make full accessibility to God available to his people. Once again, in Hebrews 10, we'll be there in a few weeks. You'll already know it by the time we get there. Because so much of it is in this text. Uh, but at any rate, Hebrews 10, verses uh, 19 to 23. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from all uh, from any evil conscience and our bodies washed in, um, in, in pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, there's, the, there's the fullness of the new covenant. Uh, it opens the door. It opens the door. And then verse 12. We were just been dealing with verse 11 in case I lost any of you. Uh, we're moving on to verse 12 now, and he says, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there's a necessary change in the law as well. And so he's saying here, he says, we need to, ch- he says, if one thing changes, 
the other thing changes. That's, that's the idea. To replace one thing, you've got to replace the another thing. Christ, and incidentally, you need to understand something here. Uh, there are people today who, are, who think they can do this kind of thing. Uh, there's all this synchronization with various religions and that kind of thing. But you need to understand that in the order of things un- with God, when he made these changes, uh, the priesthood was, the Christ priesthood was not added to the Levitical priesthood. It replaced it. It replaced it. Uh, when uh, Christianity was not an enhancement to Judaism, we didn't add Christ to Judaism, it replaced the Judaistic system. It replaced it. In fact, the Romans, they didn't understand this, the Roman government up until Nero, uh, they, they just saw Christianity as one of the Jewish sects. You know, it was just some sect of Judaism, and that's why there wasn't overt persecution by the Romans until after Nero, or until Nero, uh, because basically, under, Ju- under, under Roman law, Judaism was an acceptable religion that could be practiced. So Christianity could too. It wasn't until Nero decided to, uh, to uh, make Christianity illegal that, uh, that that all changed which seems to be going on in Canada today. But at any rate, now I got myself lost. <laughs> anyway, oh, anyway, yeah. anyway uh, Christianity did not enhance Judaism. It replaced it. The order of Melchizedek was not added to the order of Aaron. It replaced it. It made it invalid. It no longer... Uh, it was uh, salvation was no longer a temporary covering of sin, but sin was permanently removed. Hebrews ten, what we just looked at, it was permanently removed. In Judaism, the priest and the law were tied together, so a change had to affect lo- both. So, is the do- is the law done away with? Well, in some sense, but no. Uh, Paul says the ho- the law is holy. Um, the law isn't completely done away with. So we need to kind of look at the word law for just a minute here, and we need to understand in Bible how, how the word is used. Uh, it's used in its broadest sense to mean the whole of Scripture, New and Old Testament. It's, that's the law of God. It's that book. It's written down for you. And, of course, that is not done away with. Uh, secondly... It's used to speak specifically of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the moral law. Jesus certainly taught us that wasn't done away with, Matthew 5. Uh, um, And then thirdly, it refers to, and very often this is what you see in the New Testament, when, especially when Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees and the scribes and, and those guys, is it's used to describe the ceremonial ritual law, the dietary laws, all of those kind of things. Those are the things Jesus fulfilled on the cross. That's the part of the law we're talking about. We're talking about the ceremonial law. Understand, if the priesthood has been been replaced, anything that deals with the priesthood has also been replaced. That's what he's talking about. Leviticus 21 is no longer in effect. We no longer go to, we don't go to, uh, Pastor Steve didn't get up for several weeks and preach on how elders come from Leviticus 21. They came from Timothy, and they came from Titus. That's, that's, that's the point here. The moral law had to be, had to be changed. Uh, and then when we say the, not the moral law, excuse me, the ritual law had to be changed. The ceremonial law, all of that was changed. The sacrifice system, all of that was changed. It, uh, uh, given the fact that now under Jesus, the Aaron, Aaronic priesthood is no longer operable, uh, the law pertaining to it also is no longer operable. Uh, Matthew 5, 21 through 24, 
clearly tells us that Jesus not only said the moral law is in effect, he elevated it. You know, he elevated it. He made it even stronger. Acts 17, 30 to 31. The the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which, which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. In all of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's talking about Jesus. And he's basically saying, the law stands. Jesus is judge. But he's talking about the moral law here. The Aaronic law is gone. Jesus is now the judge. Galatians 5.6. The Galatians were, were a church that was, that was being taunted by the Judaizers. And they were, they were at trying to add... Judaism and Christianity together, make a hybrid, I guess, of sorts, was what they were trying to do. And in, in 5 6, Paul wrote, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for, uh, uh, for anything, but only faith working through love, he tells them. That's the new law. Uh, it's faith in Jesus Christ. Judaism was changed, exchanged for a new priest a new sacrifice, and a new covenant. That's, 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 that's the, the thrust that, they are, uh, that the, uh, the author is wanting us to understand here. There's been a change. There's been a change in the priesthood. There's been a change in the operating system as well. And then in thir- verses three, uh, 13 to 14, he says this, For the one of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which there is no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in that connection with uh, with that, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And basically, here we go to Psalms uh, one ten verses one through four, where we're told that the scepter will never depart out of Judah, i.e., the king will come from Judah. And then, and then in verse four, it tells us. You are after the order of Melchizedek. That's, that's the idea uh, that is there. It, it clearly demonstrates that Messiah, Messiah would rule, uh, would, would, um, it, it clearly indicates as Messiah's rule, God overrules the law regarding the Levitical priest, and that he brings in the order, the, the order of Melchizedek, that bringing in the order of Melchizedek is an, is an entire, is from an entirely different tribe. It's no longer hereditary. Those were the two things about the order of Aaron. Uh, it was temporary and it was, it was hereditary. It was not, it was not, uh, it was not based on the appointment of God per se in that, uh, by oath, he said Messiah would rule and he would be an eternal a ruler priest. The Levitical priesthood was, typic, was typical, first of all, it pointed to Christ. It was only, its, its job was to point them to the Messiah. It was, that's what we're being told in this whole text about Melchizedek, uh, is that typology that is going on here. So it was typical, it was temporary, and it was imperfect. It was replaced by Jesus, whose Melchizedek-like priesthood was real, it was eternal, and it was perfect. So now he looks in verses 15 through 19 at the perfect priesthood of Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 15. For this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uh, uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And so we, we're now talking about the priesthood of Jesus. And he says, first of all, he says, he says, he says uh, it becomes more evident when another, in other words, 
what I've just said about the necessity of a change in the in the Aaronic priesthood, uh, now it becomes even more evident uh, when we see another. And this word another is, is an interesting word. Greek has two words for another. Uh, alos, which is uh, another of the same type. Uh, an addition, it, could mean, it could mean a replacement of the same thing, or it could mean an addition to another. It's the way we use it. I need another car. You know, I have one, but I need two. I don't, but anyway, uh, uh, that kind of an idea. I need, uh, I need this, I need that, I need another one of these. I need another place setting because we have guests for dinner. Any, any of those kinds of things. The other word is uh, heteros, which means a di- another of a different kind. The first talks about quantity. The second talks about quality. It means a wholly other different, another of a whole different kind. That's, that's the idea. Well, in the text... I, I bet you can surmise which other it is. Jesus is not alos. He's hetros. He's completely of a different order and kind. Um, Aaron's priesthood was not an addition of the same, uh, excuse me, Aaron's priesthood, Aaron's order was, was additions of the same kind. In other words, all the priests were out of the tribe of Levi. They were all the same in that sense. It was another. We had another priest. We have a high priest. He served his time. We have another high priest. We have priests serving the temple. They serve their time. We have another. They're all the same. That's, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea here. Uh, but this one talks about a heteros, a priest of a different kind of a different kind, arising. And in the structure, what this means is another quantitatively different kind of a priest arises by himself. That's the concept here. Not out of lineage. He, he arises by himself. He does it on his own ability, which he's going to explain in the next verse. That's, that's what he's saying here. Now, there's a few ways uh, that I think uh, that uh, uh, most of the commentators and most of the things I looked at said uh, could, could put apply to Jesus in having done things by, by himself, arising himself. Uh, one is the first one they point out, and this one's kind of a little tricky, but it's basically the virgin birth. God, God gave his son. Uh, and he did it through virgin birth. It wasn't really a human effort in any way. So here, he came into humanity himself. But secondly, uh, it refers to, it kind of refers to lineage. Jesus, Jesus basically wasn't of the line of Levi. He was who he was in himself. He arose himself is, is the idea here. Lineage has nothing to do with it. And thirdly, and probably most importantly, and probably the one that is, is focused on here is by resurrection. Acts 2.32 This Jesus God raised up, and of him we are witnesses. Uh, Jesus said, no one takes my life, I lay it down. If I lay it down, I can pick it up again. Uh, that's the idea here. The idea here is, this different kind of priest rose to priesthood himself. His person brought him to this priesthood, is what the author is saying here. Not because he was somebody's grandson. That's, 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 that's the idea here. He, he, uh, he was raised, and he, and he raised himself. And that's what, uh, that's what he's, he's saying. And he did that because he had an indestructible life. That's, that's the idea here. It speaks of his eternality. Uh, verse 16 and 7 notes the standards for a priest. Uh, he says, he says uh, for, for, who became, uh, for who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent by the power of an indestructible life. So in verse 16, he's saying, saying, look, 
Aaronic priesthood had requirements. They're found in chapter 21 of Leviticus. They're very, they're, they're listed out. Incidentally, you know what one of the, you know what, you know what the requirements are? They're 99% physical. There's 1% that they're supposed to live a holy life. But there's no detailed information on what that holy life looks like, like there is in Timothy or Titus. Or throughout the New Testament for all believers. There's none of that there. It basically says, first of all, they have to be a line of Aaron. And then it gives 100, more or less, I didn't really count them, I took somebody's word for this. But there's 100, more or less, physical defects that disqualify them. Physical defects that disqualify them. It's all physical. That's the point. That's the point here. It's all physical. It all was based on, 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 on their parentage. And were they somehow not blemished in some way? Physically, not spiritually. Yeah. That's probably why they made them retire at 50. Yeah, which that was my next point. Thank you. That's the other thing. The Levitical priesthood was just temporary. It was very limited, 25 to 50. You know, that was your career span. you start falling apart. Amen. Yeah, well, wait a few years. <laughs> yeah, but that is true. Things, yeah, things really start changing after 50, don't they? Yeah, I weighed, I think I weighed 175 pounds until I was 50. Then I weighed 220. You know, anyway. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But anyway. Um, and then he says, he, said, he, he uses this word, he says, if I can find where I was. The power for his witness of him. And, and then verse 17, of course, goes back to tell us that... Uh, uh, that uh, uh, quotes Psalms 110, verse 4. For you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's in, not like the Aaron priesthood. Not a 25-year run. A 25-billion-year run plus is, is the idea here. Uh, and, he's, he's, and then he's, and he's, he says, For on the one hand, a former uh, commandment is set aside because of its weakness and usefulness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So he says a former. This word former is an interesting word. We look at that and we think, oh, the, the thing it used to be. The word means introductory. That's what it means. It means introductory or that which precedes. In other words, it's it's. It's former in the sense that it was never intended to be permanent. It was never intended to be permanent. It was to, to get you on track. It was, it was to precede the fulfillment. That's, that's the idea of this particular word. It means introductory. Uh, the Aaron priesthood, which was temporary, was an introduction to what the priesthood of Jesus would be, which would be of a different type. But it was only introductory. It was never intended to be the final. It was intended just to introduce. And he says we will have, he not only says that, he says these former commandments are set aside because of weakness and uselessness. And, and here, it's kind of important that we understand this, um, he, he he says he says uh, uh, he says is weakness and useless, but he explains it. Now, what does he mean here? Does he mean that there was no use for the law? Well, that's absurd. There was a use for it. Uh, uh, was it weak? Well, maybe it was somewhat weak in light of what was to come. But at the time, it wasn't seen as weak. It was seen as very strong. But he says the reason for its weakness. He put it in the parentheses. The weakness and the usefulness comes from it couldn't make you perfect. It could not perfect you. It could not bring you to completion. It was only introductory. 
That's, that's the point here. It was only an introduction to what you would one day be. Uh, it, it couldn't complete the task. That was, that was, the, that was the point here. Romans chapter 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteousness, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be filled in us who walk according to the flesh, but who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's the point he's making here. The law in and of itself couldn't do that. Because you were still in a sinful state. The law could only cover that sinful state. It couldn't remove it. It couldn't clean the conscience. It couldn't bring one into the presence of God completely. It was only a temporary idea. Or only, only a temporary, a temporary uh, covering. It's because of the weakness of the flesh, God sent his son. It was because the law could not make us complete. It took Jesus. It took the sacrifice of Jesus to do that. That's, that's the point he, he's, he, he is making here. He, he's saying it took, his, it took the son to do this. It took the cross to do this. It took the resurrection to do this. It took Jesus ascending to the right hand of God where he ever makes intercession for us. All of that combined is what he's talking about here. It took that. The law couldn't do that. The law was the teacher that taught us what sin was. That's Paul's chapter 7 or chapter 6 of, of Romans. That, no, chapter 5 of Romans. The whole thing all the way through. He talks about what the law could, could and couldn't do. And he talks about the law taught him what sin was and made a desire for sin in his heart once he knew what it was. But it took Jesus to take that away. Uh, that's, that's, that's the idea that he's wanting us to, to, to understand here. He perfect, his perfect sacrifice, the cross, opened the way to God. That's what he's wanting you to understand. That's why the priesthood had to change. That's why the law regarding the priesthood had to change. Because we couldn't come near to God. And then that's what he says ultimately. He says, he says that we now have a better hope is introduced. Better in quality is the idea here. The quality of the hope is much better. There was hope in the Old Testament. But the quality is better now. It's an assurance now. It's permanent. It doesn't go away. It can't be broken. It's, it's permanent. He says, and he says, by this better hope that has been introduced through Jesus, ultimately, is the idea here, this through which we draw near to God. In other words, it is because of this better hope that we are able to come direct, we have direct access to God. When we prayed this morning, those words went straight to God. That's, that's the idea. We can, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ can come to him. We don't need a series of priests between us because we have the high priest Jesus, who is himself God. That's, 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 the, that's the thrust he's wanting us to understand here. This is what Jesus has done, done for, to, for us. He has reconciled us to God. He's made us at peace with God, and God now sees us in him. And therefore, we can come into his holy presence. And it says, we, we have now have full communion with God, full fellowship with God. It's not through a series of mediators. It's not through animal sacrifices. It's through the blood of Jesus. And he says, we draw near to God. That's, that's the point of the change. The, the, the priesthood and the law regarding the priesthood had to be changed so that you and I can have full access to God, so that we can draw near to Him. That's, that's, that was the goal. That's what the change accomplished. Any comments or questions? Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, most of these books, 
Shakespeare letters were read, written in the 60s, right? More or less. And, and uh, what the temple was destroyed in the in 70 AD. And uh, he's talking mostly about the priest and the line and everything that was going on at this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, while Paul was trying to uh, get them away from that into Christ, the only answer. Um, God just wiped that priesthood out because since then they've had no sacrifices, yes. no priests or anything. We have rabbis now and synagogues, but but they're not but they're not the same. They're not even close. There's no there is no sacrifice in Judaism today, and they've they've tried to. Um, um, I haven't really studied all the various sects of of Judaism because there's different levels of it, but. Um, you know, obviously, the more the the fully orthodox uh, would uh, would would they would uh, uh, they would want to restart the sacrifice system. Yeah, uh, the lesser think, oh well, no, we don't want to do that. But the anti-Semitism that is going on all over mm-hmm. is yeah. terrible. Well, and and you've made a good point here. Understand something that. That Judaism ceased to exist in 70 AD. It doesn't exist today. There are people who are Jewish by ethnicity, and there are people who go to synagogues and who declare that they follow the Jewish religion, but the Jewish religion is found in the the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch. It's found in the books of Moses. That's not practiced anywhere in the world. It can't be, because it required a temple. It required a priesthood. They don't exist. And yes, 70 AD, God terminated it. And there's, there was an overlap, obviously. Jesus was crucified in 33. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, and they won't read Isaiah 53. Uh, that. Well, they'll read it, but they, they've, they've got a very convoluted <laughs> interpretation. Uh, but uh, they, they read in Israel. The Zionists read in Israel, which read it that way. Change all the pronouns to Israel, mm-hmm. and see what it, it's. Oh, it's strange. But anyway, but anyway, the, you know, and 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 basically, um, most most. I, I don't. I'm going to be careful here. The majority of the people in Israel today who have gone back to Israel, they're not so much. They're not orthodox. They're not orthodox. There are orthodox, but they're not orthodox. They're Zionists. Mm-hmm. The nation is their God. And you, you, you kind of, you get to know them, you get around any of them, you can see it. I, when, when I was there, my, my tour guide was an officer in the Israeli army. And uh, uh, their tour guides, anyway, in the 70s when we went, they had to be, uh, they had to have a master's degree in either archaeology or, or uh, What's the related field? History, I guess it was. Uh, but anyway, and uh, he was an archaeologist. And our bus driver, he was a sergeant in the Israeli army. And they both fought in both wars. You know. And uh, uh, we pulled up in uh, Hebron at the Tomb of the Patriarchs, which is Palestinian predominantly. There is a Jewish kibbutz there, but it's predominantly Palestinian. And uh, the Palestinian trinket salesmen were coming down the hill. Whenever you're there, that you when you you know wherever you go, these guys are selling. They're selling stuff, and it was funny. Kind of, I was just kind of, I was off the bus, you know, and I'd kind of had got a rapport with these guys. They, they were. I was younger then, <laughs> and uh, about their age, and I'd been in the military here, so you know we had there were and the I'd owned a truck. I owned a trucking company at that time, and so I kind of had a rapport with the bus driver and and the tour guide as well because he was interested in U.S. military, and and so at any rate we. Uh, we, we would chat quite a bit, and I was standing behind the tour guide. He didn't know I was there. And those guys are coming down the hill, and they're running down the hill until they think they're inside of the tour bus, and then they all pull out canes. You know. <laughs> it's just it's comical. Uh, but anyway, I, ha- I have to tell you, I've never heard, I can't, I can't imitate the, sa- the, the voice that he said. But it was one of those things where you, 
say something you didn't mean to say out loud, you know? And as he watched them come down the hill, he went, maggots. That's the hate, you know, just on both sides. It's just, one of them tried to get on our bus and that sergeant filled the door. <laughs> you know, off he went, you know. But that's just, that's just the, you know, it's, they're Zionists. They're all about the country. That's what they're about, you know. They're about the well, land. They're about the land. Well, I do too, and I, I, threw, I wouldn't trade that tour for anything. But, but uh, uh, it uh, just uh, it was kind of an interesting, interesting thing. I've always been pro-Israeli, but which they recognized right away. So anyway, anyway, sorry, I got way off track there. But any, anyhow, the, the point is, 70 A.D. Judaism ended. God ended it. Um, it made it kind of difficult then to be talking about needing to go to the temple. And keep in mind, too, the apostles, um, the apostles and, uh, and the believers still worshipped at the temple after Jesus' crucifixion. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's part of the reason we worship. Yeah, it's part of the reason we worship on Sunday is because they kicked them out. You know, you know they wouldn't let them be part of that worship service. Um, that and the fact that the... Sunday's the resurrection day. That's the primary reason. But there's a secondary reason there, too. The problems they had with the Jews. They wouldn't let them, the high priest didn't want them around. Anyway, uh, we better go. Uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we give thanks this morning as, we have, uh, as we've looked at this text. We thank you that, uh, that we serve a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, that our high priest is Jesus, who is currently seated at your right hand, ever making intercession for us, and that through him we come directly to you and you hear us. And you act even before we ask, but you hear us, and you want us to come, you want us to commune with you, and you open that door by giving your son. Uh, That through the sacrifice of Jesus, it became a permanent, a complete a full sacrifice that no longer needed to be repeated. And it opened that door. And Father, may we not neglect so great a gift. And may we give you all the praise and all the thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.